Good morning, Central Nazarene. We've been uh, looking at the life of Peter. We're calling it Peter's Tale and, and examining the story of Jesus through Peter's eyes and through Peter's experiences. You know, all the disciples are mentioned, of course, in the Gospels, but Peter is mentioned the most. The next closest is Judas and John, and they're both mentioned 20 times, but Peter's mentioned 120 times. So far, we've looked at the very first encounter that Jesus had with Peter. It was when uh, Peter had been out fishing all night and he came in, didn't catch a thing. And Jesus hopped on his boat and they went out. Jesus said, let's go out for a fish. And, and, and they cast their nets and they caught so many fish, it filled two boats, not just Peter's boat, two boats full of fish. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, from now on, you're not going to fish for fish. Now you're going to fish for people. Pastor Livengood preached on that familiar story of when there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and the, and the other disciples were on a boat and, and Jesus started walking towards them on the water. Peter quickly discovered that it was safer being next to Jesus than in the boat. And so he hopped overboard and started walking toward Jesus. But when he started noticing the wind and the waves, that's when he sank. Of course, Peter, Peter was rescued by Jesus and they climbed on board and then Jesus calmed the sea. I think there's a good lesson in there, that story for us during this crisis that we're dealing with now. The safest place you can possibly be is next to Jesus. No matter the storm, the best place to be is next to Jesus. Well, the next couple of weeks, we were in Matthew 16, when Peter got it right and then when Peter got it wrong. The first time Peter got it right, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who, who boldly proclaimed, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it was like, right answer, good answer, Peter. And Jesus said to him, it's on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But then Jesus went on to say what the Messiah was going to be. It wasn't one that was gathering troops and, and causing a rebellion. No, the Messiah in Jesus' view was one that was going to suffer and die, and on the third day be raised again. And that's when Peter got it wrong, when, when Peter looked at Jesus in Matthew 16, 22, and, and, and took him aside and said, never, Lord, never, 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 that will never happen to you. And Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. Just a tip, you never want Jesus to call you Satan. But he did that day to Peter. This one who he said he was going to build his church on, now he's saying, you are, you are responding just as, as Satan would. You are not thinking of the things of God, for the Messiah will suffer and die and be raised on the third day. Well, Jesus then went on to tell that his followers would also have to bear their cross as well. That following Jesus wasn't always going to be a, a rose garden. That following Jesus wasn't always going to be easy, but it would be worth it. Maybe not easy, but worth it. Because Jesus gave in that closing moment of that conversation, he said, what good will it be for someone? Just think about it, Jesus is saying. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And you gain the world for 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe even 100 years, but lose your soul for eternity? That's not a good trade. And so following Jesus, not always easy, but faithful. Not always easy, but true and honest. And that's what leads to life everlasting. Well, Peter got it right. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He got it wrong. No, Jesus, you'll never die. You'll never go to the cross. And the last thing that Jesus says there in, 
in Matthew 16 is a very interesting statement. He says this, Truly I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What did Jesus mean by that? Not, some of you will not taste death before the Son of Man before the Son of Man comes into His kingdom. Just hold that question. We're going to come back to it. Because the next story is Matthew 17. It's a very familiar story. It's a story of Jesus on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And guess what? Peter gets it wrong again. Let me read that story. Matthew 17, beginning with verse 1. I'll just read the first couple of words, actually. It says, after six days. Remember, Jesus and the disciples had been at Caesarea Philippi. That's where that conversation took place, Caesarea Philippi. The only place Caesarea Philippi is mentioned in the Bible is for this conversation where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and so Matthew is telling us that six days later, it's about 50 miles from Caesarea Philippi to Mount Tabor. That's what we call the Mount of Transfiguration these days, Mount Tabor. It's about 50 miles south by southwest. It's a four or five day journey on foot. So for Matthew to say it's six days later, that's not hard to imagine. I think it's just Jesus being Jesus. Notice Jesus was never, never seemed to be in a rush. We often are rushing here and there, but Jesus seemed to take his time. Even when his friend Lazarus died, remember, it, he didn't show up until four days after Lazarus had been buried. Jesus would probably stop along the roadside, help people, heal people, maybe teach some lessons. So it's not far-fetched to think that it took six days to get from Caesarea Philippi to Mount Tabor. And then Matthew goes on to say this, Jesus took with him Peter, James, John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Jesus took these three closest disciples with him. They hiked up the mountain. On three occasions, this being one of them, Jesus took just these three disciples with him. Here in Matthew 17, but also back in Mark 6, when they went to the home of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. His daughter was sick. Remember that story? And, and Jesus took the three disciples, James, John, and Peter, with him. But they didn't get very far, and word came that, that the girl had died. But that didn't stop Jesus. They went on and got to the Jairus' house and raised that little girl from the dead. It was a tremendous story. Peter, James, and John were all there. And the other time that he took them was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that story when the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took those three disciples with him to pray. Although they weren't very good prayers that night, they were better sleepers. They kept falling asleep, and Jesus reminded them that they were there to pray. Well, here now again, Mount of Transfiguration, he takes these same three up the mountain. And then verse 2 says this, There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. I like the way that Mark describes this. In Mark chapter 9, verse 3, he says, His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I think old Mark had, had done some laundry in his day, maybe with his mom or maybe he on his own, but he knew what bleach could do. And he's saying, there's no bleach in the world, not Clorox, not Tide, not anything that could make you as white as what Jesus was. He was whiter than white. And then Matthew goes on to say, just then there appeared before Moses, before them, Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. So the greatest lawgiver, Moses, the greatest prophet, Elijah, 
are with Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have heard, overheard that conversation? What were Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talking about? Well, we don't have a word-for-word description, but Luke does tell us what they were talking about. Luke's account says this, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. There they go, sleeping again in this important moment, like they would sleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. So Moses, Elijah, Jesus, having this powerful conversation about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, all the details of what are going to take place, and the three disciples are witnessing all of that. But the best was yet to come. Because in verse 5, Matthew tells us that they heard a voice from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Whenever I read this passage, I try to put myself in the disciples' sandals. Jesus is dazzling white. Moses, Elijah, two men who are long since gone from this earth, standing there. And then hearing the voice of God Almighty himself. I've told you, this is probably the greatest worship service anyone has ever experienced. Here they are, these two towering figures of Scripture with Jesus and God Almighty's voice, audible voice, greatest worship service. And guess what? No song sung. It's just like us this morning. Remember, I told you we were going to circle back around to this question. You don't have to have songs to have a worship service. What you need is Jesus. You have Jesus, you can have a worship service. Well, that's what was going on here. It was a powerful time. And God's audible voice, this is my son with whom I love and whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. What do you do in that moment? I'll tell you what the disciples did. (laughs) They smacked their face on the ground. Matthew says this, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. Oh, I love that about Jesus. This is probably just a little tangent, but do you know how often Jesus says that over and over again to the disciples? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says it a lot. And I wonder, maybe that's what you need to hear from the Lord today. So many people are fearful today. And maybe the best lesson you can learn from this passage is just hearing the Lord say, don't be afraid. Whatever you're going through, whatever is happening in your life, don't be afraid. We can trust God Almighty. We can trust His working. We can trust His his being there and, 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 and coming, whether it's financial problems or marriage problems or lighting problems or anything. Don't be afraid. God will help us. If Jesus is around, you don't need to be afraid. Jesus chases our fears away. John would later talk about this in, in his, his letter, his first epistle. says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If you're feeling fearful today, get closer to Jesus. The most important thing I can tell you, get closer to Jesus. 
right back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, John, Jesus, shining whiter than white. Moses and Elijah standing there. God's voice from the clouds. This is my son. Listen to him. Remember when I told you the, the last thing that, that Jesus said in Matthew 16? Truly, I tell you, some of you standing there will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, here you go. It didn't take these disciples very long, did it? They're seeing the majesty, the glory, and the honor of Jesus right here, all given to Jesus. Peter had declared back in Caesarea Philippi, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And now with his own ears, he hears God Almighty's voice saying, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Firsthand, he is experiencing all of that. Well, these disciples, Peter and John, they, they, they never forgot it. And later, years later, they would write about it. And John, John would say this, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is my Son. Listen to him. We have seen it, John said. We have seen it. And Peter would, would write later, even more descriptive. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were on that sacred mountain. This holy, holy moment impacted these three disciples and they would never forget it. They would never be the same. This is my son. Listen to him. My brothers and sisters, we need that same reminder. During these days of isolation, the stay-at-home order, listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Just listen to Jesus. That's, that's a message not just for Peter, James, and John so long ago. That's a message for you today. That's a lesson for, a lesson for me. Listen to Jesus. Rob, just listen to Jesus. Quiet yourself down. Maybe turn off the TV. You don't have to binge, binge watch Netflix every day. And listen to Jesus. I think you'll be surprised at what God might say to you in those holy, holy moments. I received an email from a guy in our church just this week. And this is what he wrote me. He said, Pastor, I was awakened this morning at 3.15 a.m. and the Lord impressed upon, upon me to send out a message to the group that I drive cars back from Toronto area with. I knew if I ignored this prodding, I would be disobedient to the Holy Spirit's heeding. And he sent me a, a copy of the letter that he sent his coworkers. It was awesome. In a, in a brief letter, he offered them hope and encouragement. He told them about Jesus. He offered to, to sit down with them and talk to them more about Jesus if they wanted to. He told them that during this time, he would help them in any way that he could, that he would, would, would uh, uh, give them even money if they needed to. And he said that he would not uh, ask for, for anything in, in return, that he would, would, they didn't even have to repay him. It was from the Lord. He listened to Jesus. It was 3.15 in the morning, and he was listening to Jesus. Are you listening to him? Okay, back to Peter. 
Peter reacted to this whole amazing experience in typical Peter fashion. He said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Mark, in, in his account, he, he gives Peter an excuse for his, his statement. He, he says he didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. There was such a glimpse. Uh, it gives us such a glimpse as to who Peter is and his character. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, standing in front of him, unbelievable. These towering figures of Scripture, both long gone, yet they were having this conversation with Jesus. So what does Peter do? He interrupts them. Hold on a minute, fellas. I got to talk to Jesus for a second. Let me just have a little confab with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I got a great idea. It sure is a good thing that you brought me and James and John up here, because if it wasn't for for us, we, we, we wouldn't know what to do, but we can start working. We can, we can build a, a, a tent, so we can build one for you and, and one for Moses and one for Elijah. It'll be awesome. We could have a retreat center and people could come up here. We could stay up here forever, Jesus. We've seen Peter jump into the water kind of at a spur to get next to Jesus. We've seen him... Uh, uh, send a rebuke to Jesus when he thought that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. And now Peter just has to do something. It's this powerful moment, and and God is working, and it's so real, and Peter wants to just do something. Let me just build a retreat center for you, Jesus. I can relate to Peter a little bit, I think. Look at us. It's it's Sunday morning. You're sitting in your home. I'm sitting in mine. I'm I'm preaching from my living room. There's this COVID-19 scare our lights are going crazy in the house. You know, who knows what all's going on? If, if you get sick and go to the hospital, I can't come and visit. As much as we'd want us all to be together and back in our normal settings and, and normal church service and all the rest, you're in your house, I'm in my house. I want to do something. I just want to do something. Uh, kind of like I think the Lord would come to me and say, Rob, just, just slow down a little bit. Peter, let's build a retreat center. Let's stay up here forever. I think Jesus, it doesn't say it, but I can just imagine it. Where Jesus just said, shh, Peter, slow down. Just take it all in. I didn't bring you up here to build a retreat center, Peter. I brought you here for a purpose. That purpose that you could experience the might and the glory of God in this moment. I, I, I didn't want you to do some glorified work and witness project. No, this is... This is it right here. It's for this moment to get a glimpse of of the glory that is mine. I wonder if if Jesus is saying something to us similar these days. We're stuck at home. You can't watch sports. There's no sports on TV. You can't go to the movies. You can't uh, go to your favorite restaurant. You can't, uh, some of you, you're not going to school. Some of you are not working. We can't go to church. We can't do... And our life has been altered these, these last couple of a week or so and a couple more weeks to come. I, 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 I don't know if you're gaining the COVID-19 pounds or not. Let's hope not. But it's, it's just everything is disrupted from normal. Now, we could, we could complain about those days. We can, we can say, well, boy, I wish things were different. Or maybe... Maybe we can use this time for God's glory. 
somewhere. Um, I don't even remember where it was this week that I read this. It was a conversation between a man who had, had gone through the cultural revolution in China. And the interviewer was asking him about those experiences. And you remember the cultural revolution under Chairman Mao. They, they closed churches, destroyed churches, confiscated Bibles, imprisoned pastors and people, and even worse, many were martyred for their faith. And the interviewer was asking this, this gentleman about how they could worship when they could no longer gather together anymore and how they were able to, they, they couldn't get together as a church any longer. And so the interviewer said, well, how did you worship in those days? And the man uh, looked at the interviewer like he was from the moon. Like he had said, asked the, the dumbest question he'd ever heard. For he simply said, well, of course we worshiped at home. We worshiped at home. Maybe we can learn something from the persecuted church. No, we can't gather together. No, we can't have our, our wonderful choir singing some, some wonderful number, and we don't have our band playing, and, and we miss seeing each other on Sunday mornings. Easter's going to look a lot different, you know, in, in two weeks. I don't know, maybe we'll put some lilies around my chair here in the, my living room. I don't know what we're going to do. But in the meantime, Let's worship God at home. Let's grow in Jesus. Let's, let's listen to him. When we were in Panama, I told you about being in that church service. We were in a place called Sirocama. It was a dirt floor, no walls, just a tin roof over our heads. There was no restroom facilities. The, the church kitchen, if you can call it that, was down a hill. It was a, a big pot of soup boiling over an open fire. The microphone that they had was... It was like a cheap Walmart microphone system, like you would buy your, your child if they were doing a uh, pretending to be on American Idol or something. That was the microphone they used. And so when I got up to preach, I, di I didn't even want to use that microphone. I, I didn't take my iPad with me. I just had my Bible, and Ellie was doing the, the interpreting. And Ellie, their missionary, Ellie Soto, he and I, we've, we've preached together plenty of times where I preached and he interpreted. And so we had a rhythm going. And that Sunday morning, it, God was just really there. And through that whole service, when we were singing, when, when people were testifying through the sermon, God was really, really close. And at the end of the sermon, I got done and, and, and sat down. And a couple of ladies had shared how they were going through some different physical ailments and problems, including the pastor's wife, who was battling cancer. Carla was sitting a few seats away from me where I was sitting, and she leaned over and said, Rob, you need to, we need to pray for those ladies. And she was right. And so I, I suggested that we pray for these three ladies, that we just gather around and pray for them. Now, if you've ever been in Panama with us on one of our mission trips, and if you've ever heard Panamanian praying, they don't have quiet prayer. It's loud prayer. And so I'm praying, and they're praying out loud, and it was just a this chorus of prayers going up is a holy, holy moment. And we got done. And one of the ladies from our group, Liz Heard, just spontaneously started singing a song. I, I had never heard that song before. She said she learned it when she was a, a child about God working miracles and how she believed in miracles. It was just so precious. And I started to get out my phone out of my pocket. I was going to record the her singing and, and just that moment together. But, but I felt checked. And as if the Lord was saying, Rob, put your phone away. Some things are just meant to be experienced. Just take it in. 
Don't build any tents. Just take it in. Put your phone away and just take in this holy moment. And I think that's what Jesus was saying to, to Peter up on Mount Transfiguration. Just experience this, Peter. This isn't, this isn't why I came. This, isn't the, this, this was for, for you and, and for this, this holy moment, for you and the disciples to experience the glory, to get a glimpse, just a glimpse of who I am. But the mission, the mission is still down the, the mountain. The mission is in Jerusalem. It's the Son of Man is going to be suffering. There's going to be death. There's resurrection on the third day. I think sometimes we lose sight of the mission. Jesus was keeping it, keeping it too there, that Jesus came to this world to rescue, to redeem, to, to reclaim us once again. And so they left that holy moment and they went down the mountain. I preached on this several times. And on the way down the mountain, Jesus again reiterated that the Son of Man was going to suffer. This time, Peter did not rebuke him like he had done in Caesarea Philippi. And when they got down into the valley, that's when Jesus discovered a, a gritty scene taking place. There was a father with his demon-possessed son. The disciples, the other nine disciples, didn't know what to do. They couldn't chase the demon out. And, and it, you can't get any far removed from the, from the majesty on top of the mountain to the, the goriness of that scene in the valley. The glories of heaven to the, to the terrible situation here on earth. This boy filled with the devil. The disciples didn't know what to do. Again, I've preached on it before. You know what happens. Jesus restores that boy, heals that boy, redeems that boy, restores him to his father. And, and, and so it's uh, so a powerful time. In fact, Luke says this about it. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. And I think that's where this story makes the most sense for us during this COVID-19 crisis. These are unprecedented times. People are sick. Our hospitals are are getting more full here in Michigan than, than, than they've been in, in, in years, maybe ever. Let's pray one more prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the folks that have gathered. And we pray, Lord, that through these days, we would see you at work in our homes, in our community, in our country, in the world. We want to be amazed at the greatness of God, for we believe that you can do great and mighty things. Thank you, Lord, for the way you're working. Thank you for our church, Central Church of the Nazarene, and how you're blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.